Hello and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'm Janelli, and you're listening to W995 Smooth Jazz Station. And with me is Andrew Weissel. You can't you can't just go a W into a number. That's not how radio station call numbers work. Do do I look like a radio station scientist to you? You sound like one. Oh, thank you. That was very nice. That was very very nice. Anyway, Andrew, who are you? Who are you? What's going on? This is uh Dominaria's smooth jazz with Andrew Weissel. The sweetest, <laughs> smoothest tunes from the depths of Urborg. <laughs> Carrie? The only radio thing I have ready is that I watched a War of the Worlds hoax documentary <laughs> earlier today, so that's not going to work here. All right, fair enough. Okay, so today um, we're going to follow up a little bit on our Masters 25 discussion. We had intended to do a little more, but it turns out we have a lot to talk about a lot of the time. Um, so it's a what feature, we, not a bug. Exactly. So what we're doing today is we're going to talk a little bit of some of the flavor from Masters 25, uh, and then the rest of the show is essentially going to be a pre-show for Dominaria. We're pre-gaming it here. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any alcohol with me, but we're pre-gaming it anyway. So knowledge booze right into your frontal lobe. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. No, so so it's the the remaining magic 25 stuffs. It's all a good segue into the things about Dominaria and the state of Dominaria as we kind of left it after time spiral block and what we know about it from the few clues we have already. Especially if you haven't experienced a magic set from Dominaria before. All the stuff we're going to talk about today is going to give you a pretty well-rounded understanding of what this plane's about, who the important factions are, uh, some key locations, important events, the stuff that makes Dominaria Dominaria. So, disclaimer, there is so much to Dominaria that we can't possibly hit all of it in an hour. What we are hitting are the things that have been hinted so far, so like the artwork we've seen, uh, or things that have been kind of foreshadowed in the story. That's what yes, we're looking the, at. The the things that are going to be important, most likely be important for the upcoming set, not necessarily everything you need to know about Dominaria. There's right. lots of stuff that happened that is going to be end up being irrelevant for the set, and uh, we're not going to brief you on those kinds of things. Maybe one day in the future. Yeah, this will be my first set on Dominaria. Uh, I, I mean, it will be for a lot of people. Stars. Yeah, pretty oh, much wow, anybody stars. in the last decade. Yeah, exactly. It's been a while. Well, I think most of the Vorthos crew these days started sometime after Future Sight. Yeah. You know, for me, I started... What was the... I think, I think Unlimited was still on sale when I started. It wasn't like common, but unlimited uh, Mercadian masks was, I think, the big set the year I started. Um, I'd have to go back and double check. And I was really into it around Plane Shift and uh, Onslaught. Those were, I'm sorry, Odyssey. Those were the two sets I bought a lot of. Uh, and then I dropped out of it in high school and picked it back up in college uh, just around Future Sight, went to the Future Sight pre-release, and was confused as fuck, uh, let yeah. me tell you. We don't um, swear on the show, Jay. <laughs> you're right, you're right. I know, I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. I don't really apologize. Anyway, so let's get into it. Um, so we talked last week a little bit about the Saren flavor in a whole lot of the Masters 25 set stuff. Uh, what? Literally hours after we recorded that podcast, I discovered the uh, the artwork that the circle symbol, the sigil, I guess I'd call it, that is um, divided into four quadrants, and uh, two are white and two are like this orangish color. Uh, that actually comes from the Urza Saga block card cessation. And we'll put up uh we'll put up that artwork later. But if you look, yeah, we'll, we'll repost those. I know, I know, Jay, you did it on on your Twitter already, but right. we'll we'll follow up when we post this uh this cast and have it as nice, easy reference. So that symbol is the same one on Renewed Faith that the woman has like twenty something different little sigils that are identical to that. 
Uh, it's the same as the packaging art for the angel on her shield, the packaging art for the Avon on his waist. Um, it's the same as uh, Isan's shade. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> and so that pretty conclusively links all those things to Sarah. And it's the same colors as the Cleric of the Forward Order, also on Dominaria in Magical Origins. Right, 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 right. Um, and so likely has mean is foreshadowing the new order of Sarah pretty heavily, which is uh, something referenced in a flavor text from the Time Spiral block in a card called uh, Sarah's Boon. Even if it doesn't end up being named the new order of Sarah, it's just real handy to have that name for this group that we know exists. Right. Yeah. So it might not, we should note, it might not end up be being called the new order of Sarah. It's just the easiest name for us to use to describe this group because it's something that already exists. So the card, we talked about this a little bit, the card Angelic Page shows the Dominaria, this rebuilt Sarah's Realm-esque uh, new Order of Sarah Stronghold, which is this floating city with something that looks like Sarah's Sanctum, but isn't the original Sarah's Sanctum. Um, and yeah, so I'm, let's... I'm expecting I'm expecting a lot of art references like this in Dominaria, where we see things that are almost identical to past cards, but not quite. Like uh, there's that that Keldon art previewed is the same pose as Latula. Who's the the Kel- Kelden spell shaper? Um, but yeah, I, I'm expecting a lot of art mirrors like that to old cards. So diving into Saren history and Saren—that's S-E-R-R-A-N—for uh, everything relating to Sarah, Sarah's realm, Sarah's religions, Sarah's angels. Uh, so Sarah was a very powerful pre-mending planeswalker who created this. Um, I don't know, a world with, yeah, an entire plane. It was clouds and these floating islands and her sanctum. Uh, it was a bit like a, like a toe jam or a level. Um, and God, you guys are probably too young to get that reference. Oh, well, I I know what, thank you. Thank you. Virtual console. (laughs) Virtual console. God, Um, I'm so ancient. It's on, you can see it really good on the planes art from, the Urza block and then Dulux divine versus demonic reprinted those planes as well. Yeah. So you can, there's a lot of good art out there on Sarah's realm. One of the cycling lands has it. And then I think it's also a plane and plane chase. So you, you, you can see it. Yeah. It, it, it looks like a platformer uh, pretty much. So Sarah existed there and she had humans and angels that she supposedly created both. Um, how true that it was. I don't know. Her, her people believed it was true. Uh, then Urza and his Phyrexian newt sidekick Zancha, who is actually way cooler than Urza, but uh, we'll talk about her another time, I think, because her backstory is pretty complicated. Uh, they f- are fleeing Phyrexia after like almost a thousand years after Urza like laid siege to Phyrexia using this giant dragon engine, uh, and so Sarah lets them recover on the plane, but Phyrexia has been following them, so. Um, Urza and Zancha recover, they leave, but soon after they leave, the Phyrexians invade. And now that the Phyrexians have tainted Sarah's realm, she abandons it, not unlike Elspeth with Bant, because they are. Elspeth is very closely mirrors um, the journey that Sarah went through, like almost identically. So uh, Sarah abandons her realm and we'll get back to her realm in a second. But when she leaves, she goes to this place called Ulgratha, which I'll let Carrie talk about. Yeah. Um, she kind of arrives on Ulgratha just in time to save the planeswalkers Sandru and Faraz, who were being captured by a root spider. And you know it's a root spider because they call it out as a root spider because these old comics loved having their card references in them. They end up going to... Anhava and all these locations told on the cards. Um, they meet Sengir, and Sarah and Faraz are invited to his castle. There, Sengir attempts to intimidate them, to scare them off the plane so that he's kind of going uncontested, but they are committed to bringing the plane to a state of rebirth. And so, Faraz establishes a wizard school, 
Sarah does her aviary and um, pretty much softens up the laws in Asin Abbey. And after all that time, they've kind of restored to the play into this state that they are content with. Um, so Faraz brings up Faraz's ban, which prevents planeswalkers from entering the plane. Once Faraz's ban is in place, they're still on the plane, um, and they kind of do their own independent research and still want to discover more of the plane, but during one of these experiments that Faraz is performing, he gets killed. And so Sarah, distraught, ends up departing from the plane and fleeing to Dominaria, on Dominaria, she gets the most um, <laughs> she dishonorable pad- death possible. She, just she gets, gets Padmaid. Yeah, she gets um, attacked by a planeswalker who was after her wedding ring, or her her wedding band ring, regardless. And um, she dies, even though she was a planeswalker, she just got stabbed and died. Uh, at the same time that all this is happening, about 20 years before Sarah has actually left Olgratha is when Isan's story takes place, and then for quite a long while after she has left the plane, um, Asin Abbey still has faith that she'll return, even though she's dead, um, and where she died on Dominaria is very close i think it might be the location of the Seren cathedral you'd have to check me on that it, it um, is i'll talk about that there you go so uh i have just done a ridiculous amount of research on sarah because i have an article coming out if you're listening to this now uh it comes out in two weeks but um sarah on dominaria has like three different churches so there is back on Tercier, which is the home of the Brothers War and the Ice Age and all that. Uh, there's a little town called Epitir uh, after the Ice Age that came under the dominion of what was called the Shieltun Empire. And um, basically they were under this, the iron heel of this very, uh, I don't say fascist, but this very authoritarian society. And until this song mage, as he was called, I think his name was Thabit. Soren? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, Soren's song. That's going to be a whole podcast by itself is everything that's ridiculous in the, in the teeth of a coom novel. No, but, um, so Thabit, basically his magic ended up summoning like so many Sarah angels that they blocked out the sun and uh, there was a rebellion that forced Shieltun across the sea, and it was the beginning of the collapse of their empire. They would become what is later known as Benalia, because uh, some guy, I forget, one of the one of the cards from Legends comes across basically Shieltun after it's collapsed and reunites it and creates this new country called Benalia, where that was nice. Sarah worship is punishable by death. Well, that's not nice. That's going to be an important topic in a second. Uh, another place is uh, Circe, which is where Carrie was talking about. That's where the Sarah Cathedral is. Uh, that is where Sarah died. This monk found her and uh, cared for her in her last days and built this giant temple in her honor because he saw like the divinity in her, basically. Uh, there are a couple other pocket minor pockets that aren't really worth talking about. Um, yeah, by the time... I was about to bring up Askel, but... Yeah, comic dude. (laughs) Though, so to to put it in perspective, Epitier was in the domains. Uh, They actually built it like a giant statue to Sarah, built into a cliff. Um, I'm I'm sorry, Epitier is in Tercier. Circe is in the domains. It's in like the southeast Arona, which is a continent in the the section of Dominaria called the domains. Uh, Benalia is in like the Western domains. And then there was a comic called Sarah Angel that takes place in Western, in the Western domains, but it doesn't say exactly where. Um, but those are the instances that we know of Sarah worship back in the day. So anyway, we return to Sarah's realm. Uh, she's been gone for a while and, uh, she leaves her archangel radiant in charge, but radiant is not 
the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> She's basically, she doesn't know how to lead by um, compassion like Sarah did. She leads by force. She's basically a fascist. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the best way to turn, uh, to put it. Sarah's realm goes very fascistic. Yeah, it's sort of similar to what happens to the Church of Avison um, in Shadows Over Innistrad. So angels getting a little too hardcore with laws and rules is something that magic has explored multiple times. So, uh, and amongst this, during this power shift, the Phyrexians, after their first invasion, they retreated, but they sent in their sleeper agents. Uh, so these sleeper agents infiltrated Sarah's realm and began basically poisoning Radiant's mind uh, uh, to the point where when Urza and company show back up later after hearing that um, Sarah had abandoned the realm and it was ravaged by Phyrexia, uh, they discover that Radiant is wiping out basically just dissidents and calling them Phyrexians. And so uh, Urza, who has just built the brand new Weatherlight, brings the Weatherlight with Joira of the Gitu and Karn and a bunch of others, but those are the two that survived to the modern day. Uh, bring them there, uh, Joira as the captain, and they begin evacuating everybody that they can find because it's clear the plane is on a path to collapse. It's starting um, because it's an artificial plane. It required Sarah to balance the mana there to keep it open. And without her there, it's starting to collapse little by little. And the Phyrexians are helping along the process deliberately. Basically, Urza duels Radiant to by buy time for the refugees to escape. And then once the Weatherlight has packed as many people as it could and gets transported back uh, to Dominaria, Urza then collapses what's left of the plane into a power stone, uh, which is the, these gems invented by the Thran to power their devices. And this is like the largest, most powerful power stone ever with the power of an entire plane behind it. This is all represented on a card called Planar Collapse. That's right, yes. Which shows Urza dueling Radiant, pulling the plane into a power stone. Right, right, right. Uh, so after that point, um, all the survivors are brought to uh, Benalia. <laughs> I mean, some of them are settled all over the plains, but the only ones... I'm sorry, all over the plain. But uh, the only ones we ever hear from again are the ones settled in Benalia, where it's death to worship Sarah, which is... Only really makes sense when you consider Urza's just an awful person. <laughs> um, and they they train the, uh, the, the Bloodlines project. So Urza has this project going where he genetically tampers with people all over Dominaria. And the people in Benalia, the Capuchins, which Gerard Capuchin comes from, are in uh, Benalia. And the Sarens train the Capuchin heir for years until Phyrexia discovers them and purges the bloodlines and Karn ends up having to escape with Gerard, who's the last survivor. Then the next time we see the Sarens is during uh, the invasion where basically they're just in the background, like uh, on the cards there is, um, what is her name? Rhea Dawnbringer, but she doesn't factor into the story at all. Uh, Selenia, Dark Angel, is a Sarah Angel, but her her history is kind of weird. But there's a flavor text where Radiant mentions that she was one of the strongest angels, um, which means it had to have she had to have been kidnapped before Radiant. But it's it's a very weird situation. Yeah, she's if we ever do a podcast about the Wellerlight Saga, she's part of that whole story. Yeah, uh, and then when we see Dominaria again in the Time Spiral Saga. We see Benalia has become new Benalia because a whole lot of old Benalia was wiped out during the invasion. Urza was too busy pretending to be a beggar and shouting crazy things at people to actually defend the city. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I was kidding. (laughs) I really wish I was kidding, but that's what happened. Um, He's the worst. New Benalia has this very cool stained glass aesthetic. um, Which we've talked about. Yeah, we've talked about in the past. Uh, and that brings us to the New Order of Sarah again, which we mentioned from Sarah's Boon, uh, which is who we think these new people are that we've mentioned up till now. Mm-hmm. So the next time we hear about Sarah, it's really weird. 
it is in it's really cool. It yeah, I, I agree. It's a very cool reference. It's in Shadows Over Innistrad. And Andrew, did you want to talk about that? Yeah. So in stories and endings, towards the end of the Shadows Over Innistrad block, this is when Jason Tamio first meet, and she fixes his mind from Emical's corruption using a bunch of spells um, from her stories. Tamio's magic all comes from these magical scrolls that she has written about uh, stories that she's investigated or has been found in her libraries back on Kamigawa. And they, they just contain stories of people and events from all over the multiverse, and she can channel those into spells. Uh, she has three, however, that are locked in iron so that she has the stories, but they're not supposed to be opened or read, and she promised she would never use their power. When Avacyn is crazed and pretty much killing Jace, Jace reaches out to Tamio to open one of them. Uh, the line he says in her mind is this. Tamio, the scroll, the iron scroll, you showed it to me. An old story. A powerful story. The survivors of a place that was lost. Sarah's realm. That cataclysm. That power. The story fits. You know it does. You can stop this. Tamio's resistance to this is that the story written on there is the story of the planar collapse. Which, if she would unleash it, would destroy everything. She makes a reference to this later in the promise end at the end of Eldritch Moon, where the scroll appears when Jace is having the mental conversation with Emrakul herself. Emrakul takes out an ironbound scroll and starts writing on it, then puts it away. And then when they're trying to seal Emrakul, Nyssa can't draw enough power from Innistrad's ley lines to fully seal Emrakul into the moon. Uh, is just reading out of a regular scroll, but then Emrakul takes over her mind, takes out that iron-bound scroll, and has Tamio read it, and what it does is channels all this energy into Jace so that he can finish weaving the binding spell that eventually does successfully seal Emrakul in the moon. He confronts Tamio after, which is when she reveals that she wasn't in control of herself when she took it out. She's confused as heck, because that spell was supposed to destroy everything. And that's when she confesses to Jace that the spell had been altered, and Jace realizes somehow Emrakul changed the story of the destruction of Sarah's realm that was written in Tamio's scroll. And that's it. We, the Eldritch Moon's ends, and we don't really know what the impact of Emrakul's efforts there were. But it's really interesting that Emrakul, who was flavored as a... Who was flavored as an angel. Exactly, on Zendikar. She took on, like, the guise of an angel, and when she's appeared, when she appears to Jace in that story, she's an angel. And when she she appears to Nyssa in um, The Hand That Moves, she appears as the same angel. Um, right. Ameria. So the connection with Sarah's realm there seems interesting, especially when we have a major presence from the new order of Sarah. Like two out of five packs have s- this new order of Sarah people on them. So that is very interesting and something to pay attention to. I mean, this this is the cosmic horror part of the promised end, is that there's this huge important event that happened in the past of the multiverse that almost nobody alive even knows about that Emrakul certainly wasn't around for. Emrakul was trapped on Zendikar when Sarah's realm collapsed. So how does Emrakul even know what she's rewriting? Like, the spell that was supposed to destroy everything ended up channeling a whole bunch of energy. So is that... um, My reaction to it is that Emrakul figured out that Sarah's realm was collapsed into a power stone, which was then used to power the Weatherlight and figured out a way to rewrite Tamio's scroll to summon that same kind of power, which is what, uh, uh, literally a plane's worth of power, so that she could get sealed into the moon. Just remember, it took Nissa and Chandra a plane's worth of power to do a similar trick on Zendikar to kill, to bind and kill Lamak and Kozilek. Like, if that's the only connection, that's pretty cool. 
but it's so vague and so mysterious and we have so little to go on. I'm hard pressed to say that that with any certainty that that is the only connection between the actual events of, of Sarah's realm and the Saren people and Emrakul's uh, capitalizing on Tamiya's scroll. Yeah. So I'm interested to see if any of this matters in Dominaria. Imagine how much of a bummer it would be if Tamiya listened to Jace. Like, first of all, Innistrad would be collapsed. Second of all, Emrakul wouldn't have been on Innistrad. So any chance of, like, getting trapped in there with her presence? No, she's just still in the Blind Eternities. <laughs> so to close this out, um, Sarah, we know Sarah stuff are going to have a major presence in the set because yeah. you can see this new sanctum on the cover of the art book. There's the piece of art that was from the investors meeting last summer that is this floating city above Dominaria, which is, I think, is just a different perspective of the same area. And then uh, there's this Chris Rollis art of this knight, which matches the knight in the foreground of the art book. Uh, they both have this stained glass style that looks very new banalian. Uh, so there's clearly a connection there. We know the Sarens were settled onto Banalia, uh, so it makes sense that the new Benalia, New Order of Sarah connection. Uh, and then that Angelic Page by Chris Ron from Masters 25 appears to be that same cloud cityscape, which is just very cool looking. But with that, let's move on to uh, the domains. So oh, the do oh, I just want to, before we move on, sure. of all the clues we have for the upcoming Dominaria set, all this Sarah stuff is the, the biggest, right. clearest clues we have for anything about this set so far. Right. Which is why it's taken up the bulk of this podcast. So let's go. <laughs> the domains. So the domains, um, the domains is one of the regions where a whole lot of magic cards take place on. Uh, I forget exactly everything it encompasses, but it, it encompasses that general area includes like er, the island of large island of Urborg, this small island chain, the large island of Bogarden, um, the continent of Arona, which we talked about already. That's where Benalia and Cersei were. Uh, that's where Lanawar is, which we'll talk about in a second. And then there's the Spice Islands to the west, uh, which I don't believe is technically part of the domains. And then there's the, right there. there's an Arona, Arona subcontinent named Icehaven, which we're going to talk about now because we want to talk about Keld. Keld was, it was basically Dominaria's warrior race. I mean, there if you've if you've read about fantasy barbarians before, those are the Keldans. Uh, they were led by a council of Doyen, which were the most powerful of the war chiefs. What makes Keldans cool is they have a connection to the mountain there that connects the warlords to their war hosts. Um, and so the larger the war host, the stronger it became, not just because there were more people, but because there are more people feeding this magical reciprocity between the warlord and the, the people. And so each individual warlord got more powerful. And that's represented in some of the early Keldon cards. Uh, literally the card Keldon Warlord, which has power and toughness equal to the number of non-wall creatures you control. So uh, it's it's like the first place we ever saw this ability, um, you know, in Alpha in the first set, as the, the power and toughness equal to the number of creatures you control. And that, and that was the flavor of that. The bigger your army, the stronger your warlord. Then we mentioned Urza's Bloodlines project before. A uh, One of the researchers on the Bloodline project is tired of the ethical constraints Urza is putting down on things, which is, first of all, hilarious that Urza had ethical constraints <laughs> that were too much for somebody, but apparently so. His name was Gotha. And so he went to Keld and uh, to for them to protect him from uh, the Talarians, which were uh, the academy that Urza founded. And the and the uh, the Phyrexians. So he convinces some of the Keldans to let him experiment on them, and he ends up creating these 
like vastly more powerful, vastly more aggressive. Basically super soldiers. Right. That like miniature incredible hulks. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say more like abomination and less like Captain America. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so those are called the Gothans. You'll see them. Uh, so if you see like a gray skinned human called the Gothan, they are basically well, one all, of these all Keldons mutated Keldons. Right. They weren't originally all shown that, but now nowadays that's kind of their their thing. And part of that is the Gothan influence because it was mentioned that they it it, it exaggerated their features. Yeah, we we, so, we talked about that a little bit last week with the. The yeah, great skin right. people, and there's maybe purple people. Maybe there's there's a purple Keldon. We'll talk about her in a second. Hashtag purple people. So the Keldons, uh, they followed the Book of Keld. They put all of their honored dead in this giant necropolis, and they had this end of days prophecies called Twilight. Uh, and during Twilight, they believed that uh, all the honored warriors would rise from the dead to to fight off whatever the the scourge was. Uh, of the final battle, essentially. So believing it was near, they invaded Jamura, which is the story of prophecy. And it basically, Baron, who is um, the co-founder of Talaria, his wife is killed. And Rain, her wife is uh, named Rain, Academy Chancellor, if you're looking for the card. Uh, She's killed in that conflict. Tefiri remembers he's a planeswalker and finally ends it. But it's pretty universally panned, so don't go looking it up because you're excited about Keldons. The person who led that invasion was uh, Latula, who uh, Andrew mentioned earlier. And her artwork is very evocative of the Keldon artwork that we've gotten by Victor Adama Minguez, um, where the the Keldon is standing there uh, with his arm held off to the side and that hammer on fire clutched in it. It's very reminiscent to Overseer Latula's card. Uh, so maybe he'll be important. Maybe it's just a callback, but that's that's the kind of very cool reminiscent call callback. Callbacks, yeah. callbacks. There's we're gonna as we get once we get into Dominari previews, we're gonna talk all about the callbacks. There's gonna be so many. I'm very excited. Oh my god, yeah, there is. So then uh, the Frexian invasion happens. The Keldons are one of the frontline warriors, essentially. And there's this hilarious there's a ship called the Golden Argosi, which comes out of nowhere, but they're like, oh, it's the prophesized ship. It's It was never mentioned before. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's a literal deus ex machina uh, where it's just it's buried under the mountain where the necropolis, where the Keldon necropolis was. And when it picks everyone up, it transports them to this almost Nyx like realm where they're all in this dream hyper aware dream state. And no one who sees the Golden Argosi quite remembers it. It's very, it's like foggy in their mind. And basically all it does is pilot itself to drop people off at various battles. And that's it. <laughs> and then it flies away into the distance, never to be heard from again. After that point, during the invasion, the Sky Shroud Forest from Wrath uh, is deposited in the uh, Keldon Mountains. And the Keldons and the Sky Shroud Elves form an alliance. Uh, there's a warlord named Astor who makes friends with Eladomri, who is the leader of the Elves of uh, Sky Shroud. Uh, and they fight alongside one another. So then when we fast forward to Time Spiral Block, uh, we find Freyalise keeping Sky Shroud alive because the rift that formed when Sky Shroud was placed onto Keld uh, was draining all the mana. And there we enter Radha, heir to, heir to Keld. And Radha uh, is, she, I, we call her a half-elf, but I think she's actually like a one-quarter human. So she's like one-quarter Keldon and three-quarters elf. And she's very, very vicious. Her artwork has her with like a severed head. The full art shows the fully severed head. On her card, it's cropped so that you can't see the bloody neck stump which I assume was done for the that children. exact Think reason. The children. Yeah, yeah, basically, like, we don't want to have a art uh, showing a completely severed bloody head in our set, which probably a good call for marketing purposes. So over the course of the stories, Radha, um, she she forges a connection to Keld, so she becomes a, a, war, a warlord in her own right. Uh, and then 
she gets kidnapped by the planeswalker Jessica and her spark is burned out. So she's a Neo Walker. She's like, she's like Venser. She's one of the first of the original planeswalkers, uh, from the mending, uh, because her, her, her mana bond was with the rift. So they were, uh, Venser and Radha were the first of the planeswalkers with these mutated sparks. They were no longer godlike beings. Jessica uses her spark as like a filter to seal a bunch of rifts. And so it burns out Radha's spark. So she's, according to the books, she's no longer a planeswalker, but who knows? Teferi is a might be a planeswalker again probably is a planeswalker yeah, we'll again because that's what we need more red green planeswalkers yeah i know we really need a radha in our lives right now but she's cool she's a very cool character uh so by the end of the stories she's turned keld into kind of a red green nation instead of just a red nation because she has invited her elves in she invites people from all over into her war horse uh, <laughs> war host and she's just restoring keld's former glory that's the the story there uh, one of the other places to talk about is Lanawar, which we see in a card named Lanawar Reborn in Time Spiral. Carrie, did you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, so Lanawar Reborn was mentioned very briefly in the article Planes of Plane Chase. It was hinted, maybe more explicitly stated, to be a representation of um, the post-invasion Lanawar Forest, which is optimistic and it has beautiful art to go along with it. So for perspective, Lanawar got kind of decimated in the Phyrexian invasion, and we don't see much of it. It was ruled by um, what were called Elfhames, which are various elven kingdoms inside. Uh, they all worshipped Freyalise, um, and they had uh, their elite warriors were called the Steel Leaf Elves. And there's a piece of artwork, which I believe is from Lanawar, by uh, Chris Ron. It's the only elf artwork we've gotten so far from Dominaria. In Lanawar Reborn, you can see the blasted trunks of the older trees, and then the new growth springing up from beneath, so it still has the scars from the invasion. So then you've got, uh, we've got Talaria West, which is in the Spice Islands I mentioned earlier, west of, uh, uh, west of Arona. And we had a story there just a couple years ago. Uh, Carrie, do you want to talk about that? It went pretty well. It was one of the Masters set stories that they had released. Eternal Masters, yeah. Yes, Eternal Masters, and they had a new character for Prodigal Sorcerer that went along with the um, new art for it, and his name was Kellen Bolt, and he was on his path to become a enrollee at Talaria West. He was on a ship to his, on his way to the Spice Isles, but over the course of the story, he kind of, he's met by an alumni of the school, and... Um, keep in mind that this is still 60 years since around its founding, and the alumni teaches him a little bit to be more practical in life and explore what he wants to explore. And at the end of the story, the TLDR is that he's inside of a skyship and gets to go um, possibly hang out with pirates if he wants to. <laughs> yeah, they, they get attacked by Talus pirates. Yeah. The, the Talus is a region. I, I, I guess it's near the Spice Isles or somewhere in the no, ocean. It's, so the Talus are from, they're from... Caliman, and they have just spread all over the plane because they have this advanced technology there. The people of Caliman have like yeah, they're they're from a uh, portal second age. Yeah, this is this is the set that had guns in it. But more importantly, the pirates, which is important for standard. Yes. So I'll I'll be interested if we see any of those in the actual set. There's also a huge leviathan in that story, which is pretty cool because sea monsters are the best. The Talus are cool because they don't have sailing ships. Part of their strength is that they have uh, steamships. So they have like powered ships while everyone else is reliant on wind power or manpower to row. Talaria West, we should note, was founded in inspiration, inspired by the original Talaria, which was blown up during the Phyrexian invasion. Uh, we don't know if it has any direct connection, really. We don't actually know all that much about it. The Prodigal Sorcerer story was the most we knew about it and it was it's very a oblique. wizard school that's about all we know right um so trope space <laughs> we do know lanessa zephyr mage is from there uh she was a future sight card one of the grandeur cycle from there and what's interesting is that lanessa and the magali villeneuve card we had uh the i'm sorry the magali art we got uh of a woman wizard with a like the Talaria West in the background look very similar. So kind of like 
Latula looks like the Keldon art. Lanessa looks like this um, this other wizard's art. Yeah, they've got the spiraling blue magic. They're clearly a blue mage. Um, the character in the art also has a little flask attached to their belt, which is kind of similar to something that Lanessa has in her art as well. So the next place we want to talk about is uh, called Jamura. Uh, Jamura is like the biggest continent on Dominaria. It's a supercontinent. It's called a supercontinent. We've only ever actually seen a tiny uh, like tip of it. Uh, the rest of it. We've yeah, seen... I'm, I'm hoping we get a map of Dominaria for the set so you can see the ridiculously small areas of Dominaria where most of the story has taken place on and how little of it has happened on Gamora because <laughs> it's far and away the largest landmass. We should go ahead and post the Frexian invasion map because that'll tell you exactly how because that shows the domains in Jamura and that'll that'll show you exactly what the perspective is. So on this tip of Jamura that we know a lot about, that Mirage and Visions takes place on, there are three countries, Zelfir, Femerev, and Sukata. I don't know, there's like a apostrophe there, like there is for any kind of, when you want your fantasy name to sound foreign. Zelfir is where Tefiri is from. It is a, like a militant country. What we should note is all three of these are flavored on like African folklore. Femeref is a uh, religious country, essentially. They used to be part of Zelfir, uh, but their church essentially broke off and they are more or less a theocracy. Sukata are the, uh, their merchants. And what's funny is their story is they actually come from Rabia, which is the um, Arabian Nights plane. Uh, back in the day, the, the multiverse was lousy with random portals to other planes, especially on Dominaria. So people from Rabia came over to Dominaria all the time. Uh, and so the Sukata are, are the descendants of those people, essentially. And they're, they're all traitors. Traitors. Merchants. <laughs> not traitors. Yeah, not like Finn in Star Wars. <laughs> this is also where Tafiri said he was headed near the end of um, the time spiral block events. Right, and we should note that Zelfir, he had phased out Zelfir during the Phyrexian invasion. I mentioned Jessica and Radha earlier. Jessica sealed the Zelfirin rift before Tafiri could phase Zelfir back in. So he, be- at the end of the story, he believed it lost forever. And so he was just going to wander Femoref and Sakata. We explore some more of Jamora in the Legends Cycle 1, the one about um, Jedit Ojanan, uh, but that's also like a long time ago. We haven't seen that in more recent times. Uh, it's mentioned during the Phyrexian invasion, but we never actually see some of the other areas. And then uh, Madeira, which is the empire that Nicobolus rules, is in the Jamoran Sea. The Jamoran Sea, the, the plane is so big, it has like a, I'm sorry, the continent is so big, it has like a big L-shaped sea going deep inside. And so one of the islands in there is Madara. So then there's Urborg, uh, which is located kind of between Arona and uh, Jamora. Now we're right in the middle of everything. Yeah. And that is where um, basically the tip of the Phyrexian spear landed. Uh, that is where the stronghold. Oh, stronghold. Yeah, that's where the stronghold was over overlaid. That's where the final battle during the Phyrexian invasion happened. Um, predator crashed. Correct. That's where the predator crashed. So if you note, the Dominaria artwork has the crashed predator behind Tefiri, Joyra, and Karn. So they're likely in Urborg somewhere, which is interesting because they're also they're in a very flowery place, which is not what I would associate with Urborg. But we have actually seen Urborg more recently, and I will throw it to Carrie if you want to talk about our recent glimpse of Urborg. Yeah, at the end of, or near the end of Planar Chaos, well, throughout Planar Chaos, the novel, we saw Venser getting very loosely puppeteered by a villain known as the Weaver King who um, had a lot of control over Urborg. Um, but at the same time, the rift from the stronghold was bringing in Ice Age era Phyrexians um, into Dominaria. Their plan was originally Venser and co. visit Wingrace. And when they first meet Wingrace, he's, his roar alone is lifting Phyrexians into the air, bundling <laughs> them up into a ball, and then sprouting vines throughout them so that they're all disassembled and dysfunctional and when Windgrace actually meets Venser he only knows him as quote that maggot who builds machines 
<laughs> we should mention uh, Lord Wingrace is a planeswalker and a yes. Black Panther cat person. Yes, he is very protective of Urborg, um, and he's been Urborg's champion for quite a while, and has also spent a century or two or three cleaning up the mess that the Phyrexian invasion left. So Wingrace interrogates him to ensure that he has no sympathy for Phyrexia, and after that, Stern talking to ends up recruiting him to the cause. But immediately, Wingrace senses that there's something inside of Venser, something pulling at him, and so he kind of dives inside of Venser and wipes him of any of the Weaver King's influence and puts protection on him so that he won't be able to be puppeteered by the Weaver King any longer. But Wingrace's task is very loosely, to help them in the battle against the Phyrexians that are coming out of the Urborg Rift. And then when Wingrace finally agrees to sacrifice himself to the Rift, um, he is still weary and still thinks that Urborg needs his protection. So um, part of his last words are, I have infused my p part of myself into the land. I may not return, my, but my spirit will continue to watch over Urborg. Your Rift solution will have to work with whatever portion remains. The rift solution did work. He grew in size and literally bit into the rift that was over Urborg. That's just like a giant sealing the rift. head. Yes. <laughs> but his spirit was supposedly imbued in the land. And so 54 years later, 55 years later, when Koth and Elspeth are visiting Dominaria and looking for a solution to the Phyrexian problem on Mirrodin, they are sent to this temple by the Windgrace Acolytes who are apparently diehard scions of the old ways, and they divine through some candle wax the name Venser, which seems arbitrary until you realize that Wingrace's spirit is bound to Urborg. They are at Urborg in the Hero's Memorial, trying to figure out a solution to the Phyrexian problem, and who helped Wingrace with the Phyrexian problem other than Venser. So that is the long-winded connection between um, Windgrace, Koth, Elspeth, and Venser. And a Johnny. We should note it's the Windgrace acolytes who taught Koth the spell where they divine Venser's there name. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that moves us on to Otaria, which is the Australia of Dominaria, which basically <laughs> appeared out of nowhere uh, after the Phyrexian invasion. No, literally. It's, re it's really the other Australia because Sarpedia is one Australia, Otaru is the other. It has a lot of Australias. Gee, Bill, your mom lets your plane have two Australias? <laughs> so we talked, we've talked a lot about Otaria in the first podcast, and we mm -hmm. talked a lot about it in the, uh, the last podcast for Masters 25. So l let's not talk about Otaria, but instead talk about the Cabal. The Cabal was founded by a guy named the Patriarch, who was pledged in service to a, uh, a Numena, which is kind of like, we talked about this in the first podcast too, kind of like these humans. Super ancient these, super wizards. Yeah, exactly. These godlike wizards uh, named Kuber. So the Patriarch lost his immortality due to betraying Kuber, according to the wiki. Uh, none of us have actually read the Odyssey novels and the Onslaught novels. Um, so I'm sure there are other people out there who can give it a little bit more than we can here. Go tweet Kelly Diggs about it. Yeah, there you go. But basically, he was just this bad dude who ran this very mafia-like organization. It has since been taken over by Belzenlock, which is Liliana's fourth demon, and it has likely spread beyond the borders of Ataria. And one of the people we think is part of it, I don't know, do you want to talk about this, Andrew? You're, you're a big fan of Josu. I'm a big fan of any of the conspiracies involving Josu's connection to other plot lines, because I think he's a lot more important than a lot of people think. In the original comic about Liliana's origin called The Raven's Eye, when she meets the Raven Man, he has a quote about her brother. This is where he's trying to convince Liliana to save his life. And he says, don't let their small mind stop you from saving your brother. He will be our next leader. He must survive this war. In the context of the comic, it's like, well, yeah, it's your dad's kid. Your dad's like the Lord of the House. When your dad is gone, Josu's got to be the next guy to rule the family. But we learn that Liliana makes her brother undead, and Josu is referenced as a lich at one point. And, you know, this is only like 200 years ago, which is nothing if you're an undead lich. 
So there's a good chance Joseph's still around. And now that we know that one of Liliana's demons is tied to the Cabal, I would like to believe that that Raven Man quote is establishing Josu as not the whole leader of the Cabal, because that's still Bells and Luck, but at, at least a higher up Lich Lord in the organization, which would be horrific for Liliana to go back to, and she probably deserves that. If we see Josu again, that's at least a hint of how he could be presented as a high-ranking member of the evil organization. I think it would be very interesting if she is not aware of Josu being part of this, and so she's chasing down Belzenlock, and Belzenlock has Josu, and has Josu working for him, I think the most compelling reason to do something like this is that it's really good drama. Like, remember, Josu is the one person that Liliana wants to save. The one person she'll openly admit to caring about, too. Right. Even to herself. To put him in the position where he might be totally irredeemable and potentially even worse than Liliana's become, like, it's ripe for the, the family sibling drama and storytelling and if that's true i think it will be a cool thing to read about so then uh we want to talk a little bit about something that happened on ataria was kind of only on the cards it didn't factor into the story the riptide project which concerns the resurrection of one of andrew's favorite creatures the creatures that got me into magic the slivers really good information revealed before we recorded this podcast on his tumblr mark rosewater confirmed that there will be no slivers in the upcoming dominaria set so don't expect them to play a part in the cards they take up so much mechanical space so they're not going to be there that doesn't mean they don't still exist in the world they might get referenced in the story at some point We'll have to wait and see for that. When we last saw Dominaria during Time Spiral, Silvers were basically the only creatures thriving as the world died. They're resilient that way, um, except for the time where they became extinct before during the Frexian invasion. Telling the story all backwards. We'll start at the beginning. The Frexian Plane of Wrath, which got overlaid into Dominaria, is where the slivers, we first saw the slivers. They were brought there by Volrath because he thought they were fascinating because he's a shapeshifter and they're shapeshifters. So we wanted to study them. During the Frexian overlay, his stronghold, as we mentioned, got blooped right into Urborg. All the slivers died because they lived in the volcanic caverns of Wrath, which became the volcanic insides of Urborg. So they got incinerated. The rest of the invasion happened. And then 100 years later, this project called the Riptide Project starts, which is seeking to clone and resurrect species that had gone extinct during the Frexian invasion. While searching Urborg, they find remnants of slivers, dead slivers, bring them back to life, become fascinated with their shape-shifting capabilities, start experimenting on them, and as all good biological experiments done in haste uh, end, the slivers escape, start overrunning Otaria, and get mutated by the Mirari a little bit. That's the Sliver Overlord, who has no on-camera death and might still be out there. Over the next 200 years, as Dominari begins to die, the Slivers adapt and spread across the whole plane. Uh, Freyalise controls a bunch of them at some point. This is all in Urborg. She and Windgrace use them to fight those Frexians in that event we mentioned earlier. So yeah, there there are Slivers in Sky Shroud. There are slivers yes. in Banalia, and there are slivers They're all in over. Urborg. Yeah, the, the Banalians are really under siege. And that's all according to flavor text, we should know. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't really appear in the novels too much, except for that little bit with Fraylis. By the end of the Time Spiral block, we see the Sliver Legion. The, the slivers no longer need a controlling presence, because the regular slivers are kind of drones and will run wild and uncontrolled without a core presence, like the Sliver Queen, or the Sliver Overlord, or the Sliver Hive Lord over on Chandelar. So, slivers are still on Dominaria. They're not going to be in the set, so uh, my headcanon is the Silver Sliver Legion is just on a side quest for new abilities for the next time side they return. Quest. Fair enough. Or they're partying with the Surakar on Zendikar, who we did not see return in the cards in Battle for <laughs> Zendikar either, but were mentioned in the art book as still being around. They're still plotting that uh, that invasion of the surface. No, that's the Anthem. Oh, I'm sorry. God, 
get them confused. Um, it's okay. They're both mid-size amphibious blue races with primitive technology and only a few cards and some creepy flavor text. All right. And so the last thing we're going to talk about is the anachronisms. So while all the time rifts might have uh, been sealed after the um, after the time spiral saga and the mending happens and a whole bunch of all the like the natural portals shut down all the old ways to get between planes that wasn't a planeswalker basically no longer exist we know from a card released a few years later that Magic 2011 armored cankrux it's a crab crabs are great crabs are the best <laughs> that there's still fallout essentially yeah the, the uh, flavor text reads creatures displaced from time still turn up every year stranded by the temporal disaster that once swept across dominaria which is the only piece of lore we have about really the impact of the time rifts on dominaria in those last 60 years Mm -hmm. Um, so what's really interesting to me is that like, this is a potential doorway for creative to put all kinds of cool things into Dominaria into this upcoming set, like things from the past. Yeah. The existence of that flavor text becomes a rationale that gives creative a lot of freedom to do cool things in the future. I don't know if they're going to capitalize on that rationale but we'll see all right and one of my questions just one of the things i want to put in out, out as an earworm for everybody is uh during the time spiral block we saw a lot of characters from the past get moved into the future through the same mechanism that we see these anachronisms in in the future through like armored cancer cricks. and my question is are any of them still around did they all go back so it's going to be really interesting to see how things shook out we already right. know that there are there's a section of Shiv that's like 260 years displaced from the rest of Shiv. So it's going to be interesting if they actually show the difference between the old Shiv interacting with the modern Shiv. And then uh, Carrie, I think you wanted to talk about portals? Very loosely, yeah. Two years ago, well, a little over um, a year and a half ago, in July 2016, Ethan Fleischer posted on No Goblins Allowed a new thread about interplanar immigration. And he said he was reading a lot of the novels. He was trying to track some of this stuff. Who knows what they could have been working on two years ago. But he comes up with a list of interplanar immigration examples that have happened throughout time, including Thranda Phyrexia, Rabia to Sugata, Wildfire to Bogarden, Kor from Zendikar, which I believe is their established home plane, to ending up on Wrath somehow, whether they were abducted from there. Just trying to pull up more information on these characters and um, these races and where they had come from originally. It's a little food for thought what kind of displacements they could have found a reason to have in the set or what were their motivations for looking into these type of things. Mm -hmm. And Carrie was being a little oblique there, but when, whenever we talk about someone in R&D talking about something or researching something two years before a certain set comes out, that's about the cycle for a standard set. So that might have been pre-design work going into the set, but... Uh, we don't know. It could have just been for fun. Ethan's a big dork like we are. so. <laughs> or it could have been for Commander. But yeah, there, there's a chance <laughs> it could have been Dominaria research. Don't don't look too hard at things people say like this, but it is always nice to, to think about it. And with that, I think we are probably going to go over our hour time frame. So let's go ahead and close it out. The one thing I want to mention is that uh, Creative has been very coy as to whether or not Merit Lage is still on Dominaria. And oh my gosh. <laughs> I hate you, Jay. <laughs> And you know, uh, from the vault lore, Merit Lage made it in. And what else was in there? Cabal Ritual. And all of a sudden, the Cabal is the big bad of Dominaria. So who knows? Dun dun dun. Who knows indeed. Andrew. It's not Merit Lage. It's never Merit Lage. <laughs> That's my final thought. You've, ru you've ruined any other final thought I've had. It's not Merit Lage. Oh, your tears are delicious. Carrie. Um, I'll just say hi to Ethan since we know he listens. Hi, Ethan. Hi, Ethan. I'm sorry, I called you a dork. <laughs> My real final thought is that I just want to wrap up and restate that, like, if you feel like you know nothing about Dominaria heading into the set, hopefully this podcast covered the really important stuff that will give you uh, the, the key background into the stuff we're going to see. And that fear not as the previews start happening and the story starts happening, 
uh, we're going to be picking up on all kinds of references and explaining them. And for for either the people who experienced Dominaria the first thousand times we were there and need a refresher or just want to enjoy seeing the things you loved again, or uh, whether this is your first romp across this huge plane, we want everyone to know what's going on. So don't worry, we got you. If you've ever read my Let's Talk About series, where I kind of just break down that kind of thing from week to week, that's what our intent is for this podcast, but with the the brain trust here all going off of it and actually talking about it. Yeah, what you don't always see in those Let's Talk pieces is that sometimes it's stuff that the three of us have discussed before anyway so you'll be able to see that interaction up close yes also buy ebooks oh my god yes we tweeted those out last week the the three ice age novels as well as the wrath cycle novels were just put up on amazon for kindle as ebooks way cheaper than the physical copies wrath and storm the gathering dark although it's listed as the gathering darkness the eternal ice and the shattered alliance the shattered alliance oh my god that's an important one because that one uh it is a very rare find so having it digitally is amazing that is a story where jaya ballard becomes a planeswalker is, is that the 75 dollar book yeah yeah don't pay 75 dollars pay eight dollars and thankfully you won't have to worry about any of those villains returning so that's good <laughs> yeah the Limduel, who is the villain of two of those novels or well one of those novels but marisol is a villain of all three uh definitely won't be relevant again don't worry about it that's sarcasm for people who have a hard time with sarcasm <laughs> all right we're closing out for real goodbye everybody yeah. bye